We are here live, more or less, <laughs> from Las Vegas. This is Good Sports with Mark Anthony. I'm Rick Rosen. Welcome. What's happening, buddy? Another another beautiful Thursday here in the Valley. Another day in paradise. And some of us are in Winchester. Some of us are in paradise. You know, that's <laughs> I suppose that's an inside joke in Las Vegas. We have townships here. So everybody can have a city council and, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure it's money. I don't think they do anything overly effective. But uh, Paradise is one of the, what a great name for a part of your city, Paradise. <laughs> in Sin City. Imagine that. <laughs> You'd think we were an NBA franchise. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, sports rundown, Mark. <laughs> Talk to me, my friend. Talk to me. Well, I don't know if it's a police blotter or anymore, or we're actually doing a sports report, but uh, we'll we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, no luck tonight. And how many people come to Vegas? Man, I had no luck. Well, same thing with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Andrew Luck is, is not going to play this evening versus the Ravens. Um, well, probably a good thing. Uh, they, they don't like quarterbacks anyhow. Uh, but his shoulders uh, still hurting him. And, uh, again, all week, the Colts have been saying probably he's throwing, he's in practice, he's doing this, he's doing that. And why they do that, they I guarantee you somebody earlier than today realized that Andrew Luck was. And they do that so the other team has to prepare for either both quarterbacks, which they both have different styles, uh, the, the backup quarterback uh, uh, not the same as Andrew Luck and so when you have to prepare for two it takes half the time away from preparing for just one guy I mean when you when you know you're going to up against Peyton Manning you prepare totally for that for that one quarterback and what he does if Manning's out and Brock Osweiler has to come in you know the guy's seven foot nine or whatever the hell he is he's huge I think he's like six eight um, you have to prepare differently it's a different if, uh, for the quarterbacks it's almost like preparing for a pitcher, one guy's a knuckleballer, and one guy's a guy that throws 99 miles an hour all the time. So uh, that's what's going on in the football game tonight. But the NFL on Thursday, you know, we have it. We have NFL games at, at least uh, three different nights of the week, and towards the end of the season, we have four nights of NFL football. Used to be Monday night football was so special. Now it's kind of yeah. yeah, yeah. They have some crappy games sometimes. Yeah, I mean they just. A little bit of saturation. Now the NFL is wanting to move to uh, permanently put a franchise in London and in Europe, uh, I, I believe, uh, Madrid, because of their fantastic spo- support for Real Madrid and soccer and, and, and the, the, huge, uh, the, the huge popularity that soccer is. The NFL would like to catch, you know, catch part of that uh, for people that realize soccer is really frickin' boring. So, I mean, you know. oh, there he goes again. Oh, he almost caught the cab. Oh, crap. Now he's standing back at the, you know, he's standing back there at, at Valet Park and waiting for the next. Oh, here comes another one. Oh, crap. He's back to where he was. You know, there's not. Nil. Nil is part of the. If I say nil to you, you're like, what? Nil what? Yeah. You say nil in, in soccer. Somebody's, oh, no, the other guy's got one. Yes, took him 90 minutes and injury time and whatever, uh, stoppage time and Greenwich Meridian time, <laughs> all kinds of daylight savings time, and they get all kinds of additional, you know. If it's not overtime, it shouldn't be overtime. If, if so, if a team's ahead at the end of regulation after, you know, by way, just call it. All right, thanks. See you next week. But they don't do that in soccer. 
which which uh, would you like to start to on the police blotter? The kind of sort of police blotter thing, or the police blotter thing that actually was an assault and 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 uh, going to be some uh, repercussions. Um, take your choice. They both involve basketball. One college, one oh, pro. Of course, of course. Got a got a basketball in there. <laughs> Yeah, it just—I I guess it, it lends itself to to, to not not having real good outside manners. Um, okay, I guess we'll start with the the, the quicker of the two. Uh, Matt Barnes uh, divorced his wife. Matt Barnes now plays for the Grizzlies. Derek Fisher now coaches the New York Knicks. He of the longtime uh, Los Angeles Lakers. And then he went to, uh, he was playing, he got either free agent or, or, or traded to Utah, and his little girl developed uh, a cancer of the eye. And the Utah Jazz, God bless them, they let him go back to the Lakers so he could be where she needed to get treatment. And so they, they really did a good thing. And Derek Fisher's a pretty decent guy, Mark. We've seen him here at Basketball USA, and and uh, uh, he doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't shy away. He'll he'll smile and, and talk to you and, and, and just seems like a very nice man. Matt Barnes uh, didn't like the fact that Derek Fisher was going out with his ex-wife, even though Matt Barnes has a new girlfriend of some fame. I believe she's an actress. And uh, drove like 60 miles to go kick the, uh, the, the crap. Uh, I guess we're going to use that as a more politically correct term. Uh, out of Derek Fisher. And uh, two guys that big. He, Derek Fisher's a little guy in the NBA. Derek Fisher's a big man. He's he's bigger than I am. I mean, he's taller than I am. I don't think he I don't think he outweighs me. But he certainly he certainly is uh, big enough to do do you some harm if he hits you. And Matt Barnes is a is a, he, he, an even bigger uh, guy. And uh, you know, slapping each other around. You're going out with my ex-wife. Okay, X being the operative phrase there. So anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what's going on in the NBA. In Colorado, our friend Rick Pitino have a, a, a world of a, a, a stuff about to hit the fan because the scandal is that uh, uh, an assistant somewhere in the in the in <laughs> at Louisville was providing uh, strippers. Yes, for the the players, and it was kind of up to the players whether they wanted sex or not. They had, to, I guess, they had to pay for their own BJ's. But here's the girls. Here's the here's the here's the sampler platter, and so they were providing them dances and and, and those kind of things. And some guys uh, fell for it, and some didn't. It obviously wasn't that incredibly uh, successful as uh, one of the recruits, uh, the kid named uh, Lyles, uh, Daquan Wiles, I think it is. Um, was uh, is now at Ohio State, and the NCAA has uh, has uh, talked to him, interviewed him. There are a couple other players involved in this that are not at Louisville. So whoever thought of it didn't didn't think it all the way through because when a guy doesn't sign, now you're now you're you're opening yourselves up to hey they they get, what do I get here? You know I. I was getting free sex with hot strippers at Louisville when they recruited me, and all you're giving me is a car. <laughs> you know, where's is where's the how big's the back seat? I suppose is the question that would come to mind. But uh, anyhow, what do you think about that, Mark? Do you think that should be illegal recruiting, or do you think just let it go? You know, the God, for the number of times we've been down down, exactly. down this road with 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 college players 
the colleges are making millions upon millions of dollars with these kids, you know, and and then some court just ruled that 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 they can't be paid. They can't pay antitrust. That, you know, baseball has an antitrust stupid. exemption. Shouldn't we, shouldn't Congress do something, players? You know, that generate. Freshmen are real, real happy to go to games at old, good old state university, and sit there and smile. And when they got, if they win the national championship, you know, those people are all. We want you to come by, and we want to celebrate with you. And we're going to name it, you know, uh, state U holiday, whatever it is. Yet these kids, you're right, Mark, and these kids do generate billions of dollars. And uh, to say that they can't have, they can't share in the, you know, they're out there from from early on in their lives. If they if you made a college basketball team or a college anything team, football, baseball, I don't care, you've had to devote a great deal of your life to that to that sport. Very few people just all of a sudden pick it up late in life. You don't get many guys that say, I didn't play until I was a junior in high school, and then they, somebody saw me, they were looking at somebody else, and they saw me, and I got recruited, and here, and then I seven inches, and blah, blah, blah. You don't hear that. It, it, it's a very, very rare thing. Most of these kids, LeBron James was known when he was in eighth grade. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So the scouting goes back and back and back. It's much easier to do. They have these big tournaments. The Las Vegas is home to several tournaments uh, for high school players, and I mean, they call it a high school tournament. It is a it is a college prep tournament. A lot of these guys' lives, like I say, are are really dedicated to a particular sport or two, and they they get recruited and they, and they they play and they you know you're at the big house in in Michigan. You got one hundred and eight thousand seats butts in the seat. You've helped, and there's you know, a hundred kids in the football program. Okay, let's do the math. One hundred eight thousand divided by a hundred. Okay, that's one thousand and eighty people per player in that program that they brought into that into the big house six times a year. That's a lot of that's a lot of stuff, Mark, and a lot of money they're they're generating, and they don't get any recompense. You know, they don't even pay their parents the gas money for for all the time they drove them back and forth practice and here and there and everywhere and i think it's unfair and uh, i don't know that we've heard the end of it just because a judge somewhere and uh said it's uh, it, it ain't gonna fly doesn't mean that that's the final decision i mean, well, i get the death penalty cases and say okay hey you know the death penalty is cruel and unusual and that guys are on are on death row for 15 years because of the appeals to figure out whether it's cruel and unusual okay a vicious circle you know the uh, virtually every last one that's on on death row is there for murder. Oh, okay, well, how much how much appeals did you let? You know, punishment fit in the crime and everything. And I'm not a real conservative, Mark. I have I have a few things that I think we agree on, but mo for the most part, I'm pretty liberal. But damn, man, if you're going to sentence them to death, let's get it over with. Texas and Florida seem to have it right. Okay, you were sentenced to death. <laughs> Guess what? You're going to die. And that's exactly what happens. And um, so some some states are letting guys. I think the the, the cat that was uh, just executed in Virginia was a serial killer and had, had done his things in several states. And one of the states had captured him and, and, and actually sentenced him, and they let him go. They released him to Virginia because he had a better chance of being executed in Virginia. And sure as stuff, he was. So 
uh, I guess that uh, bring, brings us back to somewhere where we were. <laughs> How do you feel about the death penalty, Mark? You know, you're a conservative. Uh, uh, there's a How there's a segue here. Trust from, me, there's a segue, man. College basketball to executing the skim the scum of the earth. I, that, that just that worse. SMU got the death penalty from the NCAA several years ago, uh, following Eric Dickerson and and Craig James and the, and the whole bunch down there, and they were on they they were banned from college sports. And they get they let the, they they had this immaculate resurrection. Now Larry Brown, he who has coached in every state in the nation and a couple of foreign countries, um, has got a nine game suspension for recruiting things and stuff they were doing at SMU, and they may very well get sentenced to death a second time after they've already served one death penalty. So I think it's a neat trick. But there's the there's well, the segue. College basketball. Okay. SMU, okay, we're there. All right, got it, got it. Now it's just six stages know, of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> I've been hanging around the last <laughs> couple of days with, with with folks who don't quite think the way we think. So I'm kind of, you know, connecting <laughs> the dots there. Okay, got it. Okay, now here you you hit it on the nail because these kids start out when they're four or five years old and for the next 20 years, they are dedicating their life to this sport and, and their and, health. And their goal is to get into college, college scholarship and maybe make, yeah. make, make the pros. They sacrifice for 20 freaking years. And during those 20 years, somebody else is profiting from them. Yeah. And then many guys who, who and, don't be out there with their health on the line. Yeah. And then the, you know, you have a bunch of them and then the select few get into college on a college scholarship. And it's almost like they're being bent over and ramrodded from behind without lubricant in college, because now not only are yeah. people making money off of them, they're making millions off of them. But yet somewhere along there, they go, okay, the people above the coach Billions. are are business people. The people below the coach, yeah. they're interns, and that's not right. And the coaches are business people too, Mark. They've they forced that business thing on them. You know, coaches used to have to teach uh, physical education or something. Also, now they're just coaches. That's it. You're the coach. You don't. You're not a professor. You don't teach anything. You don't do anything. When I was a kid. Uh, back in Colorado, the coach of the college, and it started out as a junior college, and now it is a university of Southern Colorado. Harry Simmons was the chief. He coached basketball and football, <laughs> and he and he was the physical education. If you took, if you wanted to be a PE teacher, uh, and you went to you went to school to learn that, you learned it from Harry Simmons, and uh, it was a real throwback. But he, you know, it was almost like a like a high school situation. Uh, he's the coach of what? Uh, damn near everything. And uh, I, I suppose if he could have, uh, he could have figured out javelin throwing or something like that, he'd had the track team too. But uh, uh, yeah, things have changed, Mark, and there's so much money. And uh, you know, our our buddy John Calipari, who I think is a really nice guy and gets it. He he's there for the kids. His his thing last year was winning the national championship is tremendous, but that's not the end all. That's not what these kids are after. If you're on a team good enough to win the national championship then you have real hopes and, and, and possibilities of playing at the next level in the NBA or in Europe or, or, or different places where these guys can go and make a real good living. Uh, 
they don't make them. They, they don't make the kind of money that they make in the NBA and playing in these other places. But they make some good change. They make a good chunk of change. And Kobe Bryant, uh, when you look, his dad, uh, Joe Jellybean Bryant, took off, went to Italy, and played pro ball there. And that's if you've ever had, heard Kobe speak Italian. Um, you know, yeah, he, it's a real deal. He was really there. <laughs> and then he came back to Upper Marion, Pennsylvania, and went to finish high school. And, uh, you know, the rest, as they say, is history, uh, Kobe, a Laker. And uh, um, I don't believe Kobe was drafted by the Lakers, by the way. I think they traded for him on draft night or shortly thereafter. I think he was an earlier pick, and they said, eh, we'll take this high school kid. <laughs> he, might, he might turn into something. And now, man, by the way, speaking of Kobe, they had a rankings thing come out in the uh, – I saw it on Yahoo. I don't know exactly where it emanated from, Mark, but they rank Kobe now as the 93rd best NBA player. And as hard as it is to admit, I think that's probably right, Mark. Uh, as I said, once Kobe started getting accumulating the injuries, and certainly when he tore his Achilles uh, after the knee injuries and, and those kind of things that have cost him parts or, or all of the last couple seasons, um, I said, Kobe's not going to be Kobe anymore. I don't know how long he's going to do this, but if Kobe's not Kobe, he's not going to play. And Kobe at 93rd, there's a lot of players. Kobe at this age, he's almost 40 years old. And to be the 93rd best uh, basketball player on earth or thereabouts uh, is pretty good, but not for Kobe. Kobe's used to being one, two, maybe three. Uh, and that's when, you know, you consider LeBron James and Kevin Durant now or uh, Michael Jordan and, uh, and, uh, even Tim Duncan or, or those that guys that are that are elite. Kobe certainly has been in that conversation for a very, very long time, and now he's uh, 93rd. And uh, I don't think we'll see Kobe much longer. We, we, Tony Stewart retiring from uh, from NASCAR next year. Uh, Clint Boyer uh, going to make it in uh, to his seat. So Boyer's got a one-year deal uh, in NASCAR. To uh, He's going to drive somebody else's car for one year, and then he's going to take the 14 ride. And, and, and haul it around there for Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, the demise, uh, the end of Boyer's career with Michael Waltrip Racing, which is which has folded, came about because of the cheating thing. They uh, they tried to manipulate the end of the race, and Boyer all of a sudden spun where, where nobody had spun before. <laughs> there were no tire marks there where Boyer spun, and it was to it was to get Martin Truex Jr. into the the playoffs, uh, the, the chase for the cup. And uh, didn't work. They got found out and uh, let Jeff Gordon in and, and threw Martin Truex out. And uh, uh, that was really the beginning of the end for Michael Waltrip Racing. But uh, And Boyer's a good guy out of Emporia, Kansas. But uh, some strange things in NASCAR. Uh, Kevin Harvick's boy, he won, he won the race in an incredibly dominating fashion, particularly in today's day and age. They've evened things up. Boy, you talk about a level playing field. You can't tell whether you're looking at a, at a Toyota Camry or a Ford Mustang or whatever the Chevy thing they call it now. Um, on the track, it's very hard to differentiate the cars because the templates are so close to one another, so nobody has an aerodynamic advantage. And Harvick wins the race. I mean, he was lapping people three at a time. I think there were only 15 other cars on the lead lap out of 43. That's that's pretty substantial. And Jimmy Johnson went out. A broken part has ended uh, Johnson's run this year for a seventh championship. But as Kevin Harvick won, his crew chief came. Uh, Greg Ives came on the uh, uh, over the radio and said, "Burn it down." Well, okay, you know, it, it certainly could have been part of the celebratory. Hey, man, let's you know, burn the house down. But most people don't believe that. They think, uh, or at least a 
good majority of them don't believe that. They think that Kevin Harvick was hiding whatever advantage they had. And he, you see guys do burnouts. They, they, they put the front of the car on the wall and they, they use the wall to hold it still. And they make everybody sick from the smoke and you get all that crap in your hair and your ears and your eyes and all that stuff. And it's kind of cool to watch, uh, not from up close. Uh, like I said, uh, that, that stuff is, but, but, um, Harvick backed into the, into the inside wall. Uh, on the speedway, and and his uh, Greg Ives said, "Burn it down," and uh, Harvick did his his best to do it. Man, he blew, he burned those tires until there were no tires anymore. And of course, it does some rear end damage, and it leads to them not being able to do a tech inspection like they could on a perfectly pristine car. And uh, so, a lot of people are thinking there was some cheating going on. Well, okay, NASCAR's. <laughs> I I did not invent this saying. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And uh, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was at least Dale Earnhardt Sr. who said that, if not more. And uh, so that's where NASCAR finds itself, a little bit of controversy there. Harvick, the defending champion, had to win the race to advance, or he was going to be uh, sharing uh, a seat in the stands with Jimmy Johnson when it comes down to Homestead and the, and the final race of the season. So... Anyway, I don't know how those how those things happen, but uh, Harvey got away with it. Now, now I would imagine NASCAR will legislate if you're going to do burnouts, you got to you, you know uh, we, we're, we're going to inspect or do something before you do that. I I don't know what the exact they may they might just eliminate burnouts altogether or say okay, spend it around and do a couple donuts and come to come to tech inspection or victory lane or both. And uh, you know, after the it is kind of chaotic after the race. Um, some drivers are pissed off, so they're wanting to fight whoever is, is available. Uh, some guys are just happy to be there, and, and they pull in, and we had a good run, and we, you know, we ended up 15th in a, in a 30th place car or something like that, and, and, and things go their way. And so you get that kind of mix r- immediately after the race. The, the winners out there burning, waving the flag and burning, burning off the, the rear tires, and they go to, to victory lane, and you don't see the you, – you can either be one place or the other. You can't be both places, and uh, there's some real drama that goes on after the race, but it's usually not with the winner. It's usually with the guy that would have been a winner had somebody not yeah. bumped him in turn three on on lap 180 or something like that. So, but anyway, I think uh, I think we will see some some repercussions from this. There will be some directive or some new rule or something like that about these burnouts. Of course, so, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is, and maybe they station somebody out there and say, "Okay, we're going to look at the back end of the car, and I'm going to make the judgment, and then you can burn it down if you want to." But we're not going to do this anymore. And NASCAR is very, very proactive like that. So, uh, I think it will be it will be interesting to see how this all comes about. Oh, okay, uh, is that all the is that all the miscreants and and <laughs> and felons and and, hey, and hey. otherwise? Uh, we were at the truck races. We were at NASCAR <laughs> last last Saturday. Yes, Lord. Us and about what ten thousand people. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> um, yeah, Mark, and it's it's the same thing, you know. I mean, the craftsman racing, what the WNBA is to basketball. It's nice, but people just they really have to give away the tickets, and it's a way. It is an entry level, and you know, in, in baseball. You come to Las Vegas, you can watch the Triple A team of the Mets. So you know these guys are one step away from making the major leagues. There is no one place to watch these minor league type activities except at your local track or whatever. Or when they come through once a year, some places host two 
truck races, but that's about it. And this is the next tier down from Xfinity. So this would be equal to, I guess, double A baseball. And some of these guys are going to make it and some of them don't. And some of them, it's money. Uh, guys can't just be a good driver and have a good mechanic and good and good uh, wheels under them, a, a good machine under them. They have to be able to generate money and they have to have that personality because it does take so much money to run a team. I mean, my God, they're tires. <laughs> you know, when you go through eight sets of tires in a weekend, uh, that gets pretty pricey. And to haul things from one place to the other. But we did the truck race, Mark. It ain't the, the pits are not from the neon garage out of here at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Certainly not filled with haulers. There are a few. There are some really look very similar to what we see uh, from the NASCAR guys, the cup guys, and the Xfinity guys. But there were some people that had uh, horse trailers or exaggerated uh, big-time uh, uh, auto uh, trailers that they literally haul with the, with the fifth wheel uh, to uh, to different tracks and, and get these trucks out there and they run around and run around and Mark I got to say I don't know if you have the photos up our friend Ron Olds was down in turn four and and got the the wreck of the night or the only wreck of the night and a young man got turned tie uh, I'll think of his last name got turned into the wall from somebody that was actually outside of him and it turned okay so somebody was to the right like this let's see if we can explain this somebody was to the right and came down on him and you saw the marks from his front left and whenever he popped loose it turned him immediately into that outside wall and missed dr sicking's uh, part of the deal by oh 20 30 feet and where he hit that wall boy he hit it a ton and you know how hard you hit the wall when the when the not only when it crushed the front end which it did of that truck but when it moved the back axle up at least six inches, and I was down towards turn one and saw the end of the wreck, but I heard it, and by the time I turned, I think my first uh, my first shot was a little out of focus, but I picked him up, and he had already smacked the wall and comes you know, down the, almost the entirety of the front stretch. He was going 160 miles an hour or so when he smacked that wall and uh, uh, airlifted to the hospital. The young man is, uh, is expected to be okay, but had some lower leg injuries and, and, and those kind of things, which they do not publicize as much as, as some of the other sports do on their injury reports and this and that. So, uh, but it was a great race. Um, you know, I mean, uh, uh, John West Townley, doesn't that sound like a, like a serial killer? Wasn't that the guy? Wasn't that the mean guy? in in the when they were selling John the Western books, about the guy was. <laughs> well, John West Townley won his won his first uh, finally won his truck race, and uh, it was a big celebration. And what a he was a nice young man. He was he was pretty uptight beforehand, Mark. And when I was walking down the hills, and I I walked over and said, "Can we get a uh, can we get a, a group shot?" And uh, they kind of his. The, a couple of the ladies, uh, yeah, and and he was kind of grudgingly, uh, yeah, okay, and I don't know if he was putting on his game face or whatever. But the territory, you're out there, you're publicizing your your truck and your sponsors and those kind of things. So smile, let's get a good shot. And he was standing there and just almost grimacing. And I took a shot, and so I had I had to say, hey man, smile. You're 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 you know you're in a NASCAR truck race. And he kind of looked and, and and so he smiled a little bit. It wasn't, it wasn't that big, I got what I wanted for Christmas smile. Yeah. But, uh, but he smiled, and uh, and then he won the race. And after the race, I went over, I said, see, I told you you could smile. And, and he kind of, <laughs> you know, he gave me that little, he gave me that little kind of, yeah, you know. But uh, the, uh, sometimes you kind of you have these guys back to reality. The 
the the fun thing about NASCAR here is the neon garage. You know, we are. Oh yeah, it's, what a great and, idea. And 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 it's funny because as media, we are spoiled with our with our media room. When I look at the other other tracks around, you know, oh, yeah. but <laughs> but for the fan, it's fun to go into the neon garage because you get to be up close and personal and just see how these teams operate and how much of an almost military style operation, everything, you know, you know, they don't have a toolbox. They've got, you know, this is the tool for the spark plug. This is the tool to turn the tool for the spark plug. This is the one tool that puts the (laughs) gap in, you know, and it can be the same wrench, but they have four of them right in a row. And each one has a specific The redundancy is, you know, absolutely. And so, so being in again, the that's part of the experience, Mark, to see this, and it is that is probably the coolest yeah. thing to watch. And what a great, what a great fan thing they're doing! And Las Vegas Motor Speedway, right on the forefront. I'll tell you what, Chris Powell, uh, Jeff Motley, the whole group out there, uh, and, and including uh, Mr. Smith, Bruton Smith, who owns the place. Um, they're very progressive. They're very they're as fan friendly. You can walk up to Chris Powell. A, a damn near any time, even during the race or whatever, and and what's happening, Chris, and you know, great race or whatever, and the guy will stop and actually have, talk to you, and he will remember you the next time he sees you, and that's a that's a good thing. But they're doing some they're doing some uh, modifications, turn four between three and four, uh, unused seats. Uh, the first few years I was out here, Mark, those seats were full, and now uh, as the economy uh, uh, went in the dumpster, uh, people decided they could do without it. Vegas, and they did, and so now, now NASCAR is going to put, or the Las Vegas Motor Speedway is going to put more uh, luxury boxes uh, up between three and four, and they're going to, uh, they're doing a, a fan zone outside, and they're also having some luxury spots for RVs up there, and so I don't know exactly what the plans are, and I uh, I read them, I, they still didn't make a great deal of, uh, I will have to see it to, to kind of get it all figured out. But uh, there's a heck of a lot of action up <laughs> when they when they wreck in turn four. It's because the wreck started in turn three, almost always, and yeah. uh, so those fans will have a great view of the back stretch and, the, and and you know there's a lot of action that you just really can't see from the front. The we you talk, it's three stories, and so so there's that there's that and they have the the big screens out there and all that, but that's almost like watching it. So when you lose when you lose sight of them as they go pass behind uh, down the backstretch maybe a third of the track that you can't see at any one time simply because the media center's in the way so uh, it's tough when you're down when you're down pit road and you turn around and what the hell happened and you have to wait till they come out and come up again and see them so yep. but las vegas motor speedway doing a great job and we appreciate our hospitality and uh, we look forward to a uh, champion week coming in november after uh, after uh, Kevin Harvick either defends his title or, or or some somebody else wears the wears the crown this year, they will all be all sixteen chase drivers are expected to be here in Las Vegas. And what's your what's your funnest part of that? Well, I know you guys like the haulers when they when they you know uh, when they bring the well, bad boys in. And, and, well, the haulers are in March, but but oh, but in uh, in. In November, of course, is the is the burnouts down on the strip. You know, you know. I mean, you got to get there three hours before if you want to get anywhere near a good view of 
the race cars going down the strip and then doing the burnouts at at uh, both ends is that's 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 always fun to watch so Sorry about that. I suppose that means we were taking a break. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was talking about the burnouts. Oh yeah, absolutely, Mark. Um, you know they're all part of the deal. The burnouts, the burnouts in front of the win uh, there at Spring Mountain and Las Vegas Boulevard uh, are incredible. When, when we when we go take pictures of them, it's just so cool to see the guys. And you know the drivers are having a ball, but they almost all have a passenger. They configure yes. the cars and put a second seat in on on, on the passenger side, and, and the the cars are not necessarily built for two in the first place. Those people are having a ball. See them, and I don't know if they're friends or or, or you know somebody who has paid that to get that ride. As you as people contest do for Speedway Children's Charities, they get to ride a, a lap after the driver intros, and uh, so. Uh, but yeah, you're right, Mark. I mean that that, that pretty much is. They're all cool. I'll tell you what. I don't know if I've had a, more fun than I have down on Fremont Street with the, with the, the the chase drivers. They come down there and they walk the red carpet and play whatever game they they have them play up there on the stage on the Third Street stage by the D. Man, it's so cool to watch the people. You will see people look at their hand like, "Oh my God, I shook Jimmy Johnson's hand with that hand. I'm never washing it again." You know, and they just have that attitude, and people have all kinds of stuff to. You see the fans come out, and it it, it is the entirety, the the whole NASCAR fandom is embodied in that walk down the down the the red carpet all the way down Fremont Street. They what a couple weeks, I mean, couple blocks they go, and then then they make the turn up onto the stage. Boy, and I, you talk about a big crowd and very very appreciative of being able to be up front. Cool and talk to these guys, and uh, you know they'll they'll stop and um, it was almost like it's almost like watching what the Pope does. They'll see somebody yeah. in the audience uh, in, in that group holding a helmet of theirs or a, a poster or something like that, and uh, certainly uh, uh, we saw uh, the coolest things I've had to happen there. Uh, Carl Edwards was coming down, and and I've been talking to the people. The, the drivers were a little late. And uh, this young man uh, standing by the fence, uh, his dad was behind him, and, and uh, the kid was autistic. And the dad said the only the only thing that, that, that really he, he responds to is NASCAR. And I said, who's his favorite driver? And he said, oh, my God, Carl Edwards. And I said, let's see what we can do. So I ran, uh, ran being the operative word, I walked quickly yeah, uh, back up towards where the to towards where the drivers were, and Edwards was still 40 feet from us. And I said, Carl, when you get up to where I am, please stop. There's an autistic kid that would like, I'd like to get a photo with you and him. And uh, he kind of, he kind of nodded. I mean, he's signing autographs and, and smiling and uh, people get, got their selfie things now and, and all that. So it was kind of a pain in the neck for him. And he got down there, man, and he went way out of his way for this, for this kid and, uh, and put his arm around him and took a photo and, 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 you know, must his hair a little bit like that. And, and this kid, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a bigger smile on a kid's face. <laughs> so uh, these nasty. No, even the biggest asshole in the bunch is a pretty cool guy. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, some of them are surly. And, you know, they, these guys are athletes, and they and people do argue. What do you think, Mark? People make that argument. They're not athletes. 
I'll tell you what, go, go around like that and see if you if it doesn't take a great deal of athletic. You talk about hand-eye coordination, hand-eye foot, and the t- the teams. And, and you watch it. You go watch a pit stop sometime. and Don't think these are athletes. My God, their their choreography is certainly anything that any offense in the NFL would be very very proud. Any triangle offense that uh, that. Uh, Phil has the uh, uh, the rights to in the NBA, man. All those things. It's amazing to watch how, how coordinated they are and how athletic all these guys are. And then you look at Carl Edwards. He gets done with the 500-mile race, and if he wins it, he does a backflip, you know, off the, off the car onto the, and then waves to the crowd. I mean, that would be pretty much the uh, – that would be – all right, St. Peter, here's what happened. I won a race. I decided I'm going to celebrate my – doing a backflip and next thing i know i'm up here at the pearly gate that would be rick's story so <laughs> all right mark a uh, couple couple of really really big things coming up here um the baseball playoffs are always are already off and running texas and toronto goes in a little bit here uh, uh the the rangers Made it kind of snuck in on the uh, – it kind of come in the back door. Uh, they're off and on. They had a kind of an up-and-down season, but they're uh, at Toronto, who uh, really made a huge, huge change when they picked up Troy Tulowitzki and David Price at the trade deadline in uh, in July. And um, they were six and a half games behind the Yankees at the time of that trade or the, the, they picked those two guys up, and they won by, I believe, six games. So a huge turnaround in the clubhouse. Uh, the guys can make that difference. And uh, I think, for my money, the Toronto Blue Jays look like the, the most solid team, top to bottom, and they certainly seem to like each other and play well together. And a lot of that is, uh, like I say, I'm, I've been a huge Troy Tulowitzki fan since the Rockies drafted him. Very, very sad to see him play for somebody else but very very happy for him the way he the way he's playing that he gets to go to the playoffs and he gets to do the things that he should be doing and uh, uh david price another guy kind of off the scrap heap and uh, you know i mean he was available so how, how much how much how much did they like him they made him available and then somebody took him and that was toronto and i think they're going to win it um astros and kc is the other matchup in the american league and uh i think Major League Baseball w- would say, "Well, if we had, if we could pick four teams, all four teams that were that I just mentioned—Texas, Toronto, uh, Houston Astros, and the Kansas City Royals—I don't think all four of those teams would be the favorites of the guys that do the advertising and do the TV contracts and those kind of things. On the other hand, in the National League, I don't know if you could have." four teams better for your for your ratings wise and, and and all those types of things than what the National League has they have the Mets versus the Dodgers oh my god east coast west coast blah 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 and then you have the Cubs and the Cardinals playing and the Cubbies who played their last uh, uh game here in in exhibition their last couple games they have Chris Bryant who's i believe is going to be the the National League rookie of the year they've played the Cardinals 9 games already this season so nobody has nothing new the pitchers are all known unless there's a kid they've brought up from double a AA or triple a you know i i don't think you're going to see him now so the cubs and cardinals have already played against each other 19 times so i i think you're going to see some unders i think you're going to see some some uh, uh very very conservative play because they do know each other so well i mean that's a that's a lot of data to have on another team 19 games worth and so when it happens for both of them. But I think the matchups are much more uh, 
advertiser friendly in the National League than they are in the American League. I mean, let's go through this again. Texas and Toronto, not close enough to each other to be to be rivals. Only time they meet up, they meet up and they and they play against one another. But that's about it. Other than that, I don't think there's a lot of Texans say, "Hey, let's go to Toronto." And I don't think there's a lot of Canadians that say, "You know what? We haven't been to we haven't been to Arlington, Texas for a while. Let's head on down there." Um, Houston Astros and the Kansas City uh, uh, Royals. Okay, I guess maybe there's a there's a beef connection there. You know, they used to drive the cattle up from Texas up to Kansas City, and so. But anyhow, uh, big games. Uh, three of those teams, Mark, do have a Las Vegas connection. Are you aware of that? Three of the eight survivors. Really? I mean, that's almost that's almost half. Well, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays until two years ago were the farm team. Uh, right. that played here in Las Vegas. Uh, they were the 51s. They yes. moved on, and the Mets farm team is now the Las Vegas 51s. Even though the name is the same, obviously the players are quite different. And when we watch those, uh, when we watch the Mets, uh, the 51s practice and, and, and their, last, uh, their last few games and then watch the your home debut, uh, you could just see that the Mets were the Mets were doing something really good, and they had a real shot. They got the arms. They they have the players in place. They've got a big payroll. They were expected to be there. My God, the Dodgers have the payroll, uh, you know, more than the gross uh, domestic product of several small countries or some kind of medium countries, and that's their payroll. And they were expected to be there with Granke and and, and Kershaw, but. Uh, you go on, and you th- and the next one is the Cubs, who play their last exhibition games here. So you've got Toronto, the Mets, and the Cubs, all with a very, very good, solid Vegas connection. Some of those kids that are playing with Toronto play ones. Certainly, some of the guys playing with the Mets, uh, Noah Syndergaard, and the and the whole group that got them to this point come out of Las Vegas, and the Cubs, uh, you know, play either two or three games here at the end of the year every year. So. Uh, at the end of spring training every year, and it, I think it's really cool. But this really comes down to a two-game series, Mark. It's the best out of five. And so uh, you, you always hear about home team advantage. In a seven-game series, 2-2-1 two, two, is how it goes. They they tried 2-3-2 two, two for a while, and that sucked. Because if you if you lost one of those first two games, you were toast. So now this is a five-game series. Well, okay, if you're up 2-0, you only have to win one of the last three games. If you split that first series, then it's then it evens up there. So it's really a two. If you're down two nothing, you're it, it doesn't happen that teams win three in a row. It doesn't happen in the regular season. It certainly doesn't happen in the playoffs. It's very very rare, Mark. So this is a two game series. They went from a one game series, which I think is a kind of a ripoff. Uh, the Yankees and the Pirates played 162 games to get shut out in a one game playoff to make the the final rotation for the for the uh, you know to be in line to play for the World Series. And I think that was kind of a ripoff. Uh, you know, uh, both neither team scored a run. The Pirates and the Yankees were both shut out in that wild card play in game. So, uh, but uh, this is this comes down to a two-game series. If you're if you're on the road, and you don't win one of these first two games, uh, you can start planning your vacation. And a team, and you don't hold serve. If you you know win those first two, you've pretty much punched your ticket into the next round. If you split, and God forbid you should lose both, <laughs> well. You- you can start playing. You can call in for tea time at whatever golf course is near you because you ain't going to be playing much longer. So that's exactly that's exactly what it is. This this really is a two game series. These first two games incredibly important. 
particularly to the road teams, and you will see them pull out all stops. I mean, if the if the left fielder can throw throw a strike past somebody in the seventh inning, they might call him in to do. You never know who you're going to see. You see starters that are available on two days rest to come in and throw an inning or so, and, and all. No. different, but I guess it's about as fair as they're going to get unless they go to seven-game series and followed by another seven-game series. And as as teams are put together, you know, uh, they they say that styles make fights, Mark. Well, you can put your team together for the long haul, for to get us to the playoffs, or you can have a you can have a team that's more set up, particularly your pitching staff, that is more set up for a short series. For we, we've got two studs. The Dodgers come to mind. We've got Clayton Kershaw and Zach Greinke, and we're going to hope like hell that there's a rain out or something like that, and we can get back to those two because everybody else is way behind on the Dodgers staff behind Greinke and Kershaw. The Mets, on the other hand, have a uh, have a, a load of arms uh, that they can call on. So one team was made for the long haul. One team was has been set up. We hope we make the playoff because if we do, we've got all these arms and everything, and the Mets have, have succeeded in that. The Dodgers have now their hopes pinned on what God is here is going to be able to do something magical for us in the playoffs. But I think the Dodgers are, uh, are at a disadvantage other than they are at home. And the Mets uh, and the Cubs... Uh, again, uh, kind of two different. The, the Cubs and the, and the Cardinals probably have a closer philosophy than I think the Mets and the Dodgers do in, in making their teams, uh, uh, you know, uh, trading here or, or calling this guy up or, or whatever the final iteration is that they have of these teams. I think uh, the Mets and the Dodgers are vastly different. So uh, that two-game series, uh, again, here we are. Texas and Toronto goes in just a little bit. And it brings us, Mark, down to uh, the the. The end of the line, and certainly, uh, God knows my favorite thing of, uh, of most all the things that I do, Mark. I can't think of anything much more fun than the PBR World Finals. And uh, yeah. unfortunately, this year is going to be their last year at the Thomas and Mac. And uh, you can hear the you can hear the ghosts walking around already, man. Uh, uh, you know, a little yellow jacket, uh, bushwhacker, uh, all the incredible history that has been uh, that has gone on at the Thomas and Mac is now going to move to the big white elephant and uh at least that's the that's the plan i i hope that if they finally get their heads out of their butts and get a stadium built here that's multifunctional and will help the the running rebels uh, football team who have shown some signs of life uh tony sanchez doing a doing a darn good job there compared i mean just considering the all the eight balls that they have put him behind. Uh, uh, I don't know if a new Thomas and Mac or a new stadium across the street that's going to be football is going to supplant the Thomas and Mac. But um, anyway, the the history there for Pro Bowl riding is is enormous, and the Pro Bowl riding World Finals are coming to Las Vegas again. And if you bet, if you would like to get down a wager on that, Rick's going to give you some free money. His name <laughs> is J. B. Mooney. And I'm going to go put some money on J.B. Mooney, and you should too. And <laughs> this is not Warren Buffett from, from from Berkshire Hathaway. This is Rick Rosen saying, go put your money on J.B. Mooney, because if he's healthy, and he is now, the time off in the middle of the season, and they give those guys that time off uh, to heal up, it really is two seasons. And this second half of the season, J.B. has been doing nothing but kicking ass and taking names. And he is in first. And and he is going to be tough to catch, and he's riding as ever ridden. Uh, you know, I'm a 
huge fan of Adriano Marias, and I thought it, it, you know we're never going to see another another like him if we see JB Mooney who just has that who just has that desire they get to draft the bulls you get to pick the bull you ride now they used to not, it used to be all by, by random now it's you get to draft the bulls and, and so guys know the bulls and so JB Mooney instead of taking a well I think I can get an 80 85 out of this bull and and, and hold my place and, and go in and win a uh, win a, a a championship, you know, kind kind of just playing it safe. That that ain't JB Mooney style. No, JB no, Mooney no, style is, is I'm gonna take the best damn bull out there and show it who's who. No, uh, you know, uh, the two things about JB is a he's in it to win it, pure and simple. Yeah, whether, you know, you know whether he's hanging on with that last little toenail or pinky finger on that rope. He's, he is going to hang on to it for, for, for 8.0 seconds. Second of all, <laughs> That's right. he, you know, he's done this so many times. He starts out bad, but, you know, those, those final five or six events, he just, I don't know if he swallows a bottle of Tylenol or what. <laughs> But it's I think like, he eats you know, spinach this, like Popeye, man. Yeah, you know, and he's, <laughs> you know, he's a fan favorite. Um, yeah. And, you know, and it's like you said, if, you know, if he has a choice, he he is going to take the toughest, meanest son of a bitch and bull out there because he knows either I'm going to kill myself or I'm going to get a, a, a 90 point ride and I'm yeah. going to take the check home. Yeah, which which he has been doing. He was behind the NASCAR. Has, I mean, uh, Pro Bowl riders have come up with four majors, much like golf has the Masters and the U.S. Open, et cetera. And they have four majors, and it's double points and double money and 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 and, and a lot of score. And so a lot of guys try real hard. Um, and uh, JB won neither of them, and he found himself behind, and said, "Okay, well, that just means I have to win, you know, all these events." And he won the last one going away. I mean, he chose airtime, and uh, I don't think that 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 I don't think it's going to change. That JB is going to take the best bull that he that he thinks he can get the best score on. Uh, I hope he has a big enough lead that that attitude does not cost him a world championship. But you know what? If it does. It does, and JB's taking that chance, and I applaud him, man. You know, uh, some guys in fights duck people because they know that they, they don't want to take that chance of getting beat, man. And <laughs> JB Mooney, if you like athletes who take them on, come on. You want to fight? Let's fight. Um, that's JB Mooney to a T, and uh, uh, they're coming, folks. Uh, JB well, Mooney, Kaique uh, Pacheco out of Brazil, and JW Harris, who come over from the PRCA. You kind of got three different. Uh, factors there, Mark. Um, yep. So, yeah. Uh, J.W. Harris, by the way, uh, I don't know how popular he still is with the PRCA. You know, there's that that constant <laughs> animosity between the pro uh, pro uh, PRCA and the pro bull riders. In that the PBR broke off from the PRCA and said, "Hey, everybody's coming to watch the bull riders. Why aren't why aren't we making more money?" Well, if you think you can make money by just drawing people to pro bull riding, go ahead, try it. And uh, Ty Murray and uh, and several of his of his close friends uh, went out and did just that, and the the success of the PBR is phenomenal. 
and you got to give, uh, you know, we we have to give uh, props for for a lot of that to uh, our friend Randy Bernard, who now is RTV TV uh, executive. And when he was at the at the Pro Bowl Riders and then moved on uh, uh, somewhat tragically to the IRL, Andy Racing League, uh, you just knew that Randy Bernard had him pointed in the right direction, and the, the things that he uh, that he brought to the fore uh, for the Pro Bowl Riders have served them very very well, and he is still he- held in very very high regard. Uh, and right, rightfully so, but uh, well, uh, there ain't there none of them. And by the way, this pink shirt, yeah, I'm wearing today because I knew we were going to talk about the Pro Bowl riders, Mark. And the Pro Bowl riders, if you don't think those guys are tough, pick on one sometime. Say something to a 160 pound guy like Mike Lee, and see if he doesn't if he does not have the ability to into a pile of uh, a piss right there on the uh, a puddle. Right there on the wherever you are, because these are some tough, tough guys, and they always have their uh, they 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 all very very much honor breast cancers, uh, breast cancer victims and survivors, and um, it's always cool for me, Mark, as a breast cancer survivor and a son and a brother of uh, women who died of breast cancer, uh, or brother of I guess my sister would be my yeah okay you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. My sister and my mother both passed away from breast cancer very shortly after my breast cancer surgery. Within eight months, I guess it was, I lost both of them. And uh, the Pro Bowl riders, and you get all those guys out there in their in the in the pink, and it is so incredibly cool for me. And I and I'm kind of like the I have to go like this <laughs> and show people this is what it looks like when they take one of your boobs off. This is what the leftover from breast cancer surgery looks like. And then, then they believe, wow, I didn't know men could get it. I said, well, neither did I, <laughs> right, until they told me you have breast cancer. And to think that this uh, one of the toughest groups of, of men I have ever seen all wear their pink. The splatters all wear the pink stuff. Uh, you know, they get great cooperation from the the people that make their gear, the Cooper Tires and all the sponsors and all the – but you get guys like Chad Berger. The rodeo producers, and you and you get guys. A lot of the riders wear pink. They all have something pink on, and it's so cool, Mark. And it, it means so much to those of us that have have been down that road and gone through that fight. And and you know, there's a lot of people that die of it, Mark. And and less and less every year. And and God bless the Pro Bowl riders. Um, take it very very seriously. You know, uh, it always kind of irks me a little bit that. Uh, they talk about breast cancer, and, and they they only say women. It affects so many women, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? It affected me, too. I got boobs, and now I'm down to boob, uh, but it, it affects men, too. I'm, I'm not a I'm, – I, I, I'm almost positive that I will never have a shot at uterine cancer. But breast cancer men can get, and if you're – if you uh, – Check yourself. Uh, it doesn't some, hurt. Some people <laughs> you say you're an asshole, you're... so you got cancer there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I hear that too, Mark. This is not the first time I've, I've heard that. So, uh, uh, well, I guess that's about time to wrap that's it up, it. brother. I didn't, uh, once again, did not take the breaks. But, okay, uh, no Andrew Luck tonight. Baseball playoffs. Uh, we'll keep you informed about the sex scandal at Louisville, and uh, also if Matt Barnes is actually going to meet Derek Fisher. Maybe they, we can put them tough enough events. I think they both have their amateur status from fighting. So oh, be, I bet that'll draw a crowd, man. In this corner, <laughs> maybe we get our right. Michael Buffer to come 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 do the do the uh, opens for us. So uh, pro uh, pro bowl riders world finals uh, later this. 
this month. Uh, tickets are available. And um, the NASCAR uh, Champions Week coming uh, uh, not too long after that, uh, before the end of November. They will be here. Tickets are available for that. And you can uh, you can certainly join in the fun there. And uh, obviously, you can join in the fun for with Mark and I here. Uh, watch us on YouTube. We uh, we did the the football game for the Vegas Lions this last week, Mark. And you got it up on YouTube, and uh, a lot of, a lot of viewers. And we want to wish the Lions uh, best of luck. I believe they're playing in San Diego this week. When the Vegas Lions come back to town, we'll be doing their broadcast, and uh, uh, that was a lot of fun. A little warm, but a lot of fun. And uh, so that's what that's what Vegas is all about, man. It's all about we got fun a nice and. Got a kid. Yes, right there on the top of my head. <laughs> so, all right, Mark, I guess that's about it, man. Any last words from you, buddy? Oh, let's go and have fun. Let's go have fun. Let's go and have fun. We're in Vegas. That's what, that's what it's all about. All right, folks. Uh, for Mark Anthony, I'm Rick Rosen. You've been listening to Good Sports on GoodSportsMedia.com, and we'll see you next week right here. Please take care out there. God bless. Bye-bye.